Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast ever. We're talking about Of Human Bondage, chapter, uh, not 60, 60? Yeah, 60. The discussion prompt, I don't mind. How many times have we heard I don't mind so far? It's getting a bit ridiculous. It's the catchphrase of, um, of young... Mildred. Uh, Lady Rostova says, How can you be so in- into someone that is so indifferent? I don't mind is the new egg of the book. <laughs> we should get an I don't mind account going. I wonder if we've had more I don't minds than we have eggs. Um, also, the short chapter was a treat. It was 3.29 a.m. here. And I just listened to the podcast, now I'm going to bed. Wow, that's a late night, Lady Rostova. Get some sleep, although it's 24 hours later by now, so I'm sure you have. Jan Brunt said this, I thought it was quite affecting that Mildred is the person Philip cared for most in the world. He really has no one. No family except miserable old Mr. Carey, no old friends, no one he can depend on or confide in. He's either had them taken from him, or pushed them away. You know, I hadn't thought of that until now, but you, now that you mention it, it's kind of true, isn't it? He doesn't really have someone. Like, he's got some mates, it seems, but not the, the close ones he's pushed away. Uh, I can understand his desperate attachment to Mildred in that context. He's looking to romance. He's looking to romance, sorry. Some people tagging me in memes. Let me just... <laughs> at one thirty in the morning. Uh, Sorry, that's my phone going bading. Um, I can understand his desperate attachment to Mildred in that context. He's looking to romance to fill the hole inside himself. In his mind, even the dullest, poorest people can experience love. So in this way, he too can have some pleasure in life. Really though... He should hit the books, go to class, and forget about Mildred. He may love her, but he doesn't like her, and the whole thing will only come to grief. He needs to rediscover the competitive spirit he felt back at school. It seemed to inspire him more than anything else in his life. Great analysis, says Swims with the Mama Fishy. I agree. Well put, Jan Brunt. And Trepper says this, So, I'm parting ways with Philip emotionally here. Interesting. One of the things I have really enjoyed about this novel is how much I related to the main character. Much of his feelings and aspirations resonated with me, especially as the young person I was. But Philip's obsession with Mildred is too much. Why, Philip? Why? Um, I mean, I, I get you. I, I feel a bit the same. Like, I am... Um, uh, it's kind of you, you. It's a bit of an eye roll, kind of. You know, you, you just think, "Oh, come on, mate, what are you doing?" But we're outsiders, and you know, people in a relationship or in a kind of infatuation can't see the forest for the trees. And as an outsider, it's so easy to go, "Oh, you guys are terrible for each other." But when you're inside it and you're both kind of locked onto each other, it can be really hard to see that. And I'm sure there's been times when people outside of my relationships have gone, oh, come on, man, what are you doing? Or, you know, 
just outside of my situation, whether it's a relationship or it's something else, but that outsider's perspective. So I am on the outside saying to Philip, mate, what are you doing with this like mean lady? <laughs> what are you doing with her? But um, by the same token, I kind of know the feeling of being like in so far that you can't see the forest for the trees, right? And that infatuation just kind of, it, it overthrows you, doesn't it? When you get that lust, that infatuating lust, you don't know what you're doing. All logic goes out the window. You just think, I want this person. And um, I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're fickle little creatures when it comes to that. Um, all right, shall we keep reading? I think we shall keep reading. First, of course, I need to do some advertising for you. Um, what am I doing? I'm going to advertise the Patreon again. Um, Patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. I'm really grateful to all you listeners who support the podcast via Patreon. That makes a big difference for me. Um, it's not free to do this podcasting it doesn't cost much um, but there are some monthly fees for hosting the podcast so that covers that and on top of that it leaves me with a little bit of pocket money which um, I don't know it kind of feels good to make something it's not a lot but you know I do this every single night I put quite a lot of time and effort into it so you know I um, ah, I appreciate it <laughs> Uh, it's very helpful. So, patreon.com slash the Hemingway list. If you want to be an absolute legend and donate to the podcast, you can do it there. Let's read chapter LXI, 61. He saw her then every day. He began going to lunch at the shop, but Mildred stopped him. She said it made the girls talk, so he had to content himself with tea, but he always waited about to walk with her to the station and once or twice a week they dined together. He gave her little presents, a gold bangle, gloves, handkerchiefs and the like. He was spending more than he could afford, but he could not help it. It was only when he gave her anything that she showed any affection. She knew the price of everything, and her gratitude was in exact proportion with the value of his gift. He did not care. He was too happy when she volunteered to kiss him to mind what means he got her demonstrativeness. He discovered that she found Sundays at home tedious, so he went down to Hearn Hill in the morning, met her at the end of the road, and went to church with her. I always like to go to church once, she said. It looks well, doesn't it? Then she went back to dinner. He got a scrappy meal at a hotel, and in the afternoon they took a walk in Brockwell Park. They had nothing much to say to one another, and Philip, desperately afraid she was bored, she was very easily bored, racked his brain for topics of conversation. He realised that these walks amused neither of them, but he could not bear to leave her, and did all he could to lengthen them till she became tired and out of temper. He knew that she did not care for him, and he tried to force a love which his reason told him was not in her nature. She was cold. He had no claim on her, but he could not help being exacting. Now that they were more intimate, he found it less easy to control his temper. He was often irritable and could not help saying bitter things. 
Often they quarrelled, and she would not speak to him for a while, but this always reduced him to subjection, and he crawled before her. He was angry with himself for showing so little dignity. He grew furiously jealous if he saw her speaking to any other man in the shop, and when he was jealous, he seemed to be beside himself. He would deliberately insult her, leave the shop and spend afterwards a sleepless night tossing on his bed, by turns angry and remorseful. Next day, he would go to the shop and appeal for forgiveness. Don't be angry with me, he said. I'm so awfully fond of you that I can't help myself. One of these days you'll go too far, she answered. He was anxious to come to her home in order to, that the greater intimacy should give him an advantage over the stray acquaintances she made during her working hours, but she would not let him. My aunt would think it so funny, she said. He suspected that her refusal was due only to a disinclination to let him see her aunt. Mildred had represented her as a, the widow of a professional man, that was her formula of distinction, and was uneasily conscious that the good woman could hardly be called distinguished. Philip imagined that she was in point of fact the widow of a small tradesman. He knew that Mildred was a snob, but he found no means by which he could indicate to her that he did not mind how common the aunt was. Their worst quarrel took place one evening at dinner when she told him that a man had asked her to go to a play with him. Philip turned pale, and his face grew hard and stern. "'You're not going,' he said. "'Why shouldn't I? He's a very nice, gentlemanly fellow. "'I'll take you anywhere you like.' But that isn't the same thing. I can't always go about with you. Besides, he's asked me to fix my own day, and I'll just go one evening when I'm not going out with you. It won't make any difference to you. If you had any sense of decency, if you had any gratitude, you wouldn't dream of going. I don't know what you mean by gratitude. If you're referring to the things you've given me, you can have them back. I don't want them. Her voice had the shrewish tone it sometimes got. It's not very lively always going about with you. It's always, do you love me, do you love me, till I get about sick of it. He knew it was madness to go on asking her that, but he could not help himself. Oh, I like you, all right, she would answer. Is that all? I love you with all my heart. I'm not that sort. I'm not one to say much. If you knew how happy just one word would make me. Well, what I always say is people must make, must take me as they find me, and if they don't like it, they can lump it. But sometimes she expressed herself more plainly still, and when he asked the question, answered, Oh, don't go on about that again. Then he became sulky and silent. He hated her. And now, she said, Oh, well, if you feel like that about it, I wonder you condescended to come out with me at all. It's not my seeking. You can be very sure of that. You just force me to. His pride was bitterly hurt, and he answered madly, you think I'm just good enough to stand you dinners and theatres when there's no one else to do it, and when someone else turns up, I can go to hell. Thank you, I'm about sick of being made a convenience. I'm not going to be talked to like that by anyone. I'll just show you how much I want your dirty dinner. She got up, put on her jacket, and walked out of the restaurant. Philip sat on. He determined he would not move, but ten minutes afterwards he jumped in a cab and followed her. He guessed that she would take a bus to Victoria so that they would arrive at about the same time. He saw her on the platform, escaped her notice, and went down the, to Herne Hill in the same train. He did not want to speak to her till she was on the way home, 
and could not escape him. As soon as she had turned out of the main street, brightly lit and noisy with traffic, he caught up her. Caught up to her. Mildred, he called. She walked on and would neither look at him nor answer. He repeated her name. Then she stopped and faced him. What do you want? I saw you hanging about, Victoria. Why don't you leave me alone? I'm awfully sorry. Won't you make it up? No, I'm sick of your temper and your jealousy. I don't care for you. I have never cared for you and I shall never care for you. I don't want to have anything more to do with you. She walked on quickly and he had to hurry to keep up with her. You never make allowances for me, he said. It's all very well to be jolly and amiable when you're indifferent to anyone. It's very hard when you're as much in love as I am. Have mercy on me. I don't mind that you don't care for me. After all, you can't help it. I only want you to let me love you. She walked on, refusing to speak, and Philip saw with agony that they had only a few hundred yards to go before they reached the house, her house. He abased himself. He poured out an incoherent story of love and penitence. If you'll only forgive me this time, I promise you, you will never have to complain of me in future. You can go out with whoever you choose. I'll be only too glad if you'll come with me when you've got nothing better to do. She stopped again, for they had reached the corner at which he always left her. Now you can take yourself off. I won't have you coming up to the door. I won't go until you say you'll forgive me. I'm sick and tired of the whole thing. He hesitated a moment, for he had an instinct that he could say something that would move her. It made him feel almost sick to utter the words. It is cruel. I have so much to put up with. You don't know what it is to be a cripple. Of course you don't like me. I can't expect you to. Philip, I didn't mean that, she answered quickly, with a sudden break of pity in her voice. You know it's not true. He was beginning to act now, and his voice was husky and low. Oh, I felt it, he said. She took his hand and looked at him, and her own eyes were filled with tears. I promise you it never made any difference to me. I never thought about it after the first day or two. He kept a gloomy, tragic silence. He wanted her to think he was overcome with emotion. You know I like you awfully, Philip, only you are so trying sometimes. Let's make it up. She put up her lips to his, and with a sigh of relief he kissed her. Now you are happy again? she asked, madly. She bade him good night and hurried down the road. Next day he took her in a little watch with a brooch to pin on her dress. She had been hankering for it. But three or four days later, when she brought him his tea, Mildred said to him, You remember what you promised me the other night? You mean to keep that, don't you? Yes. He knew exactly what she meant and was prepared for her next words. Because I'm going out with that gentleman I told you about tonight. All right, I hope you'll enjoy yourself. You don't mind, do you? He had himself now under excellent control. I don't like it, he smiled, but I'm not going to make myself more disagreeable than I can help. He was excited over the outing and talked about it willingly. She was excited over the outing and talked about it willingly. Philip wondered whether she did so in order to pain him or merely because she was callous. He was in the habit of condoning her cruelty by the thought of her stupidity. She had not the brains to see when she was wounding him. It's not much fun to be in love with a girl who has no imagination and no sense of humour, he thought as he listened. But the want of these things excused her. He felt that if he had not realised this, he could never forgive her for the pain she caused him. He's got seats for the Tivoli, she said. He gave me my choice and I chose that, and we're going to dine at the Café Royal. He says it's the most expensive place in London.
He is a gentleman in every sense of the word, thought Philip, but he clenched his teeth to prevent himself from uttering a syllable. Philip went to the Tivoli and saw Mildred with her companion, a smooth-faced young man with sleek hair and the spruce look of a commercial traveller, sitting in the second row of the stalls. Mildred wore a black picture hat with ostrich feathers in it, which became her well. She was listening to her host with that quiet smile which Philip knew. She had no vivacity of expression, and it required broad farce to excite her laughter. But Philip could see that she was interested and amused. He thought to himself bitterly that her companion, flashy and jovial, exactly suited her. Her sluggish temperament made her, made her appreciate noisy people. Philip had a passion for discussion, but no talent for small talk. He admired the easy drollery of which some of his friends were masters. Lawson, for instance, and his sense of inferiority made him shy and awkward. The things which interested him bored Mildred. She expected men to talk about football and racing, and he knew nothing of either. He did not know the catchwords which only need to be said to excite a laugh. Printed matter had always been a fetish to Philip, and now, in order to make himself more interesting, he read industriously the Sporting Times. All right, there we go. Another chapter down, Philip. Philip, buddy, what are you doing, mate? Abort mission. Get out of there. All right, have your say over at the subreddit. Thank you very much for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.